0: Welcome to Elite Rugby SNC Podcast, the best podcast talking all things rugby and strength and conditioning. At Elite Rugby SNC, we provide athletes with strength and conditioning programs that provide you with everything you need to become a beast and take your game to the next level. No matter what stage of the year or season, Elite Rugby SNC has a program for you. You can try before you buy, so try our seven day, $7 trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. G'day, Nathan. How are you? I'm very well. That is good, mate. How's um the year going so far, and what have you been up to?
1: The year has been—we've uh, been off to a really positive start um, with with the with the nrl comp so um teams had a bit of success on the field and um we had a lot of that build on the back of a really good preseason. so uh it's all it's all going really well yeah
0: awesome outside of rugby how's life going as well have you been up to much and um keeping busy outside as well
1: um oh, i pretty busy with work it's um pretty big priority for me um But yeah, outside of outside of work, things are going really well. We've been up up here. My wife and I've been up here in Queensland now for year and a half. Bought our first home. Got a got a new puppy at home. So things are going really well outside of work.
0: That's awesome. How's the um, adjustment been? Because you were in Sydney before, now up to Queensland. Have you adjusted to that heat up there yet?
1: I like the heat, mate. No, it's going really well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You can see in the in the video, I'm wearing a jumper here down in Canberra because it's only like four degrees outside and. Nice sunny weather up there in Queensland.
1: Yeah, and no, I think it's still 25 degrees in the middle of the day up here. It's a little bit fresh in the mornings and evenings, but um, yeah, I think you can get away with t-shirt and shorts most of the time still.
0: Mm. And you still see Kathmandu jackets up there, you know, you still see the puffy jackets come out every now and again, don't you?
1: Yeah, once once you get under 20 um, Queenslanders, <laughs> they, there's something about their sweat glands or something, they get cold.
0: Yeah, nah, that's funny. as. So growing up as a young lad, what sports did you play in? Are you still playing any sports um, right now?
1: Uh, I, I don't play anything anymore. Um, but when I was a kid, I probably had a crack at just about anything. Um, primarily, I, I played a lot of rugby league and rugby union um, up until maybe around the age of 14 or 15. Um, and then uh, the sport I was most passionate about probably would have been cricket um so I played a lot of cricket and I was still playing up until a couple of years ago on and off um but yeah sort of given that away but um yeah like as a kid I tried my hand at anything whether it was tennis or basketball or um boxing um yeah what any anything that I had a couple of mates doing and particularly anything that had had a ball involved I was um pretty active kid and and enjoyed that and um that that was a big part of my upbringing for sure that's awesome what uh position did you play in cricket you
0: were more of a batter fielder
1: or a combination
0: of both bowler
1: uh i was a um a fledgling fast bowler um they didn't come out as quick as i would have liked but um that was definitely sort of something that um sparked my passion i guess for for training um was the need for speed, I guess. Like I, I wanted to bowl faster, um, and that sort of started my journey in, into trying to learn how to train myself, and eventually um, sort of pursuing S and C, I guess. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's sort of where the journey started.
0: Awesome. That's it's, it's really interesting to always get people's insight into what sports they did play and, and, and continue to play as well. Um, if you weren't doing coaching, do you think you would, you know, still be like potentially? pushing on to a career in cricket, did did that ever sort of pop into your mind that you could become a professional cricket player or not really? Uh,
1: my passion far outweighed my talents. So um, I was never going to go anywhere as a, as a <laughs> professional athlete. Um, I really enjoyed it. And, um, and I, I really love training as well. Um, I, I don't know what I'd be doing if I wasn't coaching. Um, that's a really good question. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't even think about that. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. And you're still going to play some local cricket every now and again in during the summer up there in Queensland, or are you just going to focus on other some something else. I
1: th- I think those days are done. Um, I'm I'm pretty content. Um, just doing a few few workouts and doing a little bit of running and um, spending spending outdoor time with 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 family and friends and things like that. Like um, I I, I do still have that that competitive drive, and I, I do like challenging myself. Um. But, yeah, it's probably just not aligned with um, my goals or anything anymore to, to be playing organized sport. Um, but you never say never. Who, who knows? Yeah, 100%. I feel
0: like that's where golf comes into the equation. You know, you don't really have to organize it. It does take a little bit of time, but, you know, you get still just 18 rounds or nine holes, or and you can still have some fun and, and be competitive as well.
1: Yeah, I don't mind squeezing nine holes in every now and then. Um, the The patient side of that game can wear thin on me at times
0: (laughs) i'm a pretty good
1: i'm a pretty good ambrose golfer when i can be really aggressive off the tee that's 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 about the extent of my golfing prowess though (laughs) yeah that's fair enough
0: so when did you decide you wanted to become an snc coach and was it always an
1: area of interest for you no it wasn't um it was probably not until I was around 22 or 23 that I really sort of um, decided that something I wanted to pursue. Like I mentioned before, it was through my own sport and, and playing and being a cricketer where I, um, I wanted to improve myself. Um, I, I really got into my own training, but I, I probably didn't really know that strength and conditioning was um, an industry or a job that, or a profession that you could pursue. Um, and uh it wasn't until yeah I was sort of looking into aspects around my own training that I kind of discovered that oh these people who are making these recommendations around things that you should do are strength and conditioning coaches and that's their full-time job um and and when I kind of when the penny dropped I suppose that that was something you could pursue or do as a job um I really really excited me and um it sort of gave me uh a way to Sort of test myself at the highest level within the sport without um, necessarily relying on my pretty poor skill levels. So um, yeah, as with, without being a player, the next best thing f- for me was was being able to coach, um, and and I love it and um, can't see myself doing anything else now. Yeah,
0: it definitely seems like it's a uh, an area in the field that you sort of don't know is a career that you can go until you either get exposed to an SNC coach. Uh, throughout your, your playing career or you know family friend tells you you know you know you can do that full time if you really wanted to so I was the exact same I didn't know existed until a bit sort of or early on in my sort of playing rugby but it was more later on playing rugby I was like wow I didn't know you could do this this is actually pretty cool so it's definitely a good secret kept um quiet but it definitely needs to be um you know spread um the word needs to get out that you can do this if you don't have the talents to pursue, you know, professional sport or even after sport, you can definitely come down the field of SNC as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, like when when I grew up, where where I grew up, like there was, there weren't any organised academies or um, I don't even know if there would have been someone that was a qualified strength and conditioning coach in in the postcode where I grew up, mate. Like it, it wasn't really a thing. Um, but as I've started to. Uh, worked my way through my journey in this career i've I've seen the explosion in high school strength and conditioning and um the professionalization of academy programs and things like that where more younger kids are getting exposure to it at an earlier age and um yeah spreading the good word which i think is really important not just from um an athletic athletic development perspective but uh just like a, a general life skill i think in terms of knowing how to how to train for performance um and and being able to get the most out of your body i think that's that's pretty important for for even the general population as well
0: yeah it's it's great to see that schools are taking the initiative and putting in some strength conditioning programs like here in Canberra, there's not many at all. But you know, you're looking at your big Sydney schools and Melbourne and Brisbane, they've got SNC programs in there with some great coaches. So it's really good that they're building those foundations from a young age, all the way through their career. they at um, school, and then they can learn that they can continue learning throughout once um, they left school, but continue those good habits of training and taking care of themselves. Because there is a lot of training methods and stuff out there, and it's, it can be quite Challenging to understand what's the right or correct way to train yourself. But if we can teach them from a young age and build a good relationship with it, then they're going to definitely continue that outside of school and well well into their life as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I kind of see it as just an extension of the the PE curriculum in terms of um, yeah, setting people up to to know what to do when they walk into a gym and, and be able to keep looking after themselves um into adulthood. I think it's really important that people stay active.
0: Yeah, 100%. So for some of our listeners that might not know who you are and what your role is, so where do you currently work and what's your role um, where you work as well?
1: Yeah, so um, currently I'm the rehabilitation and speed coach at the Brisbane Broncos in the NRL. Um, so I've sort of got two prongs to that role where um, I'm uh, primarily responsible for programming and delivering our speed, agility, programs. Uh, program uh, to, to all our NRL players uh, and then the other prong to that is working with uh, our guys in rehab and reconditioning them um, I work closely with our physiotherapists so they'll, they'll give me some guidelines around what, what's appropriate for athletes and things like that um, they're the experts on the actual injury side of things but then um, I'll work with those guys to make sure that they're developing other aspects in terms of their physical qualities that they don't normally get the time to really dedicate to um, but also making sure that they're well conditioned aerobically fit um, and and ready to go when they reintegrate back into this into skills training and and or uh, performing and, and playing again
0: mm, it's a very interesting area being that you know the rehab coach and the speed coach and it feels it feels like for me that there's more opportunities like this coming through. Um what have you found so far being that specialist rehab? Has it has this been an area that you've worked in before or you've you've delved in it a little bit and but now you're the sort of the the main lead in that? Like what what's what's been your experience in there and how you're finding it so far?
1: Uh, the rehabilitation side of things is actually uh, um quite new to me. Um it's definitely something that I'm still learning about um as as I go. Um in previous roles that I've worked in um your the strength and power the conditioning the speed and the rehab coach all in one so you do get exposure to it um but really having a a large priority or a large um, amount of your time dedicated to that has allowed me to sort of go into the rabbit hole a bit more spend a bit more time uh upskilling and and learning about uh different injury pathologies and um working with our physios to get a better understanding of um different progressions and, and things like that so um it's all it's all a bit new um and i continue to to learn new things uh, all the time as we get sort of new case studies with new injuries that i've not dealt with before um but uh, i'm just sort of seeing it as, a, as an awesome opportunity to to develop my skill set in that area and uh, i'm really enjoying the challenge of it for sure
0: mm. when you do get a new injury are you just like how the hell did you do that mate like jeez can can't couldn't you just get a normal injury for me <laughs>
1: Um, Well, honestly, I'm not surprised about any of the injuries that that happen in rugby league because of the sheer brutality of the Mm -hmm. contest at times. So, um, yeah, it it, it tends not to surprise me, actually. Um, I'm I'm often um, more in awe of the fact that they're actually able to roll out there and play with a a lot of the stuff that they're carrying all the time. There's not too many guys that aren't hurt when they they run out on the field. So um, that's probably the thing that stands out to me more than anything else.
0: Yeah, Adam Reynolds is one of those players that just comes to mind straight away. With playing through injury and just being able to still perform and still be an elite halfback in the league while still only maybe being at seventy percent, you know, he's got all those little niggles and stuff, but he can still go out there, lead his team,
1: and do a fantastic job at it as well. Yeah, well, I think like if 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 you want to have a, a career in in a contact sport like this and and play a large number of games, you've You've got to be willing to um, play when you're not at 100% and f- just find a way, I guess. Um, the the guys who seem to rack up the most games and have that longevity tend to be the ones that um, find a way to work through or around um, bumps and bruises and niggles and things like that. And if you're expecting to feel fresh as a daisy when you run out there, I think you'll probably be missing more games than not.
0: Mm, 100%. Do you, do you reckon NRL will ever get to a point where we're sort of seeing in, in in international rugby now, you can only really play two games until those players need a rest just because of the brutality of the game. Like, do you think NRL needs to go down that aspect of maybe giving a couple more buy rounds in between or the opportunity to rest players as well? Do you think that would be an avenue
1: they go down at all? Um, I would probably argue that rugby league is actually more physical than even test match rugby union i think the the 10 meter rule the collisions the number of collisions over that sort of distance um the momentum involved in the collisions um yeah it's it's really surprising in terms of um the the level of collision and impact that they've got to be able to get through so the fact that they do it already is is pretty surprising. Um there, there's an extra two by rounds scheduled into the season now that we've got a, a, a 17th club in the comp. Um so we'll play, I believe, 25 games this season. Across 27 rounds, something like that. Um and yeah, you've got to keep backing up. But like I said, it's it's the the thing that stands out to me is the fact that they are able to keep rolling out week in, week out. Um, I suppose if if you want them to feel 100%, then, yeah, you would need to give them every second week off. But mm. um, we've got a squad of 30 guys, and you you got to pick 17 every weekend. Um, it's probably five or six of those guys that um, are responsible for the, the vast majority of your success, and you need them to play every game if you're going to win consistently. So, yeah, they've, they've just got to find a way to get out there and get the job done yeah
0: 100 percent. and it's going to be interesting when you know state of origin if i think it gets selected next week or whatever it is comes around then you really have to be on your game to be able to get those core players back playing but also recovered from those games as well so that's going to be a really interesting task for you
1: yeah it's a huge challenge definitely um you cross your fingers a little bit and and hope for the best at times um there's there's some things that we can't control and and what happens in a state of origin game that's outside our environment so yeah, we, we just have to have to hope that the guys don't come back too busted up and um hopefully they can mm. they can back up for us. And and if they can't, then we've got to make sure that we've used our preparation time to ensure that our depth are ready to take the step up and, and play NRL. So um it's a full squad game. Um you, you do need every every one of those 30 guys on, on your list throughout the course of a season. Um so you have gotta make sure that you're you're giving everyone their um, or paying enough attention to everyone to to make sure that they're they're re- ready and raring to go when when they get their shots, so um so they can contribute and you can keep winning games.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. The depth is is so crucial to the sport. So what's it like working for the Broncos? I'm sure that's a question you get asked by other SNC coaches and just people you just talk to and your family or friends. So what's it like working for one of the most successful NRL clubs um, in Australia?
1: It's really exciting to be honest. Um, I've been in awe of the the spectacle that they put on when 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 you got a primetime Friday night game at sun court the the crowd, the atmosphere, um, the energy, like you, you can tell that um, everyone in in the city is really heavily invested in how the Broncos go. Um, and with that comes a lot of scrutiny. Um, and yeah I've, to be honest, I, I in in my previous role, we didn't have that sort of um that attention paid to us and um i, I wanted to be challenged and, and that's why i was um really excited when the opportunity to work here came up so um yeah there's a lot more pressure but um the the highs that come with that are, are, are pretty high so it's it's a really exciting environment and um i'm, I'm loving it yeah it's great that's
0: awesome. Did you get starstruck when you first came there? Like, wow, that's that player, that's that player, like. And then there's Kevin Walters, like, yeah, did you did you get starstruck when you first got there?
1: I wouldn't say I did. Um I was really lucky that my my previous role, um I worked at Cricket New South Wales and we had about eight cricket Australia contracted players on our list, so um Particularly throughout that COVID period, where basically the, all the Cricket Australia players were doing preseason with us, I, I think that's probably um, where you where, where for me um, it, being around household names was probably normalised for me. And initially, I probably was a little more starstruck mm-hmm. in that environment. Um, but yeah, when when you're working with Steve Smith and David Warner and Pat Cummins day in day out, um, coming coming to the Broncos. Um, it probably allowed me to just see see all the boys up here as people and and try and get to know them because um, that's what you learn about those guys. Well that's what I learned about those guys in that cricket environment is at the end of the day that they're, they're just people who mm. happen to play cricket for a job or play professional sport for a job and um you, you're just there to try and help them get the most out of themselves. So yeah, it was um it wasn't so much a Starstruck. Uh, feeling for me here but I, I have had that um, um, earlier in my career for sure yeah I
0: think that doesn't matter who I interview on this this podcast I'm still going to be like you know wow that's, that's such and such out there or if I see a couple of the Brumbies boys walking down the street or something like that at the local shops I'll be like there's such and such like I'm still got that that little kid and that, that fan in me um, e- even if I look serious on the outside I'm still like wow there's uh, that player so yeah, it's just awesome to uh for for you to be able to work with those athletes, but um you just got to remind yourself they are humans, they are normal people and they just want to be treated like that. They don't want to be treated any any differently.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's it is interesting when you're um when you're in public with with high profile athletes there's there's always that funny moment when someone looks at them with that knowing look of oh I know you mm. and I the do players the <laughs> always the players always look back at them like oh I don't know you but I know that you know me and it's just this weird sort of interaction mm. that they have to deal with all the time um but um yeah like the the players get used to that and um I'm, I'm yet to meet too many that that um that struggle with that in terms of I think most of them are, are pretty polite and um and quite friendly and approachable with people which is which is always good as well. Mm, That's awesome. So what did you take away from
0: your time at cricket that you that you're now applying in rugby league?
1: Um, well, cricket's definitely different in terms of the individual side of it. I think um cricket is essentially an individual sport within a team setting. And what that means is that the expectations are different for the players in terms of what they need to get out of the support staff. So in cricket, you're really servicing the player the way that they want you to service um, to service them. Whereas in the rugby league environment, it's it's more of a, an all-in team uh, approach to how we train and and how we do things. Um, but what cricket did allow me to do was understand the different dynamics of what makes each individual tick, um, what their motivations are, what their desires are, and getting a sense of how you can help motivate different people and different characters and and how the mix of different characters um, is essential to having a strong team. Um, I think maybe an old-school approach, not that um, this is something that we, we have here, but uh, I think an old-school approach in in rugby league or rugby union is to kind of have an army of robots with, with the playing group in terms of... Um, I'm the coach, so I'll tell you what to do. When you're the player, and you just do what you're told. Um, but when when you get to uh, sort of have that idea in your head of okay, well, such and such is motivated by trying to help their family at home. Okay, well, that's something that that that's that's a heartstring I can pull on to help them um, get up for a training session when 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 things suck, when they're tired in preseason, and they want to rest. Um, or alternatively, you might have a player who's who's motivated by developing a legacy. And again, that's something that you can you can draw on to help them um keep performing in training so that they're able to improve their performance on the field. Um and I, I feel that cricket really helped me um understand the differences in 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 players and their personalities and things like that. And that's allowed me as a coach to um, probably build those stronger connections with, with different individuals.
0: Yeah. It's something that I probably learned a bit later on in my coaching career of getting to understand people's stories and really understand what makes them tick. And I'm still learning today. Like it, it it's definitely a hard thing, but I think reading um, conscious coaching by Brett Bartholomew sort of sparked that idea in me that there's different archetypes to people and you should um, train them differently in that aspect like find out what makes them tick and learn when you need to say stuff when you not don't need to say stuff so that's also awesome not that you're able to to learn that from cricket and your time in cricket and now apply it to maybe a bigger squad of people as well and you know you're having people come in and out of the squad and performances is on a weekly basis and it's just a whole different platform and you know, more eyes are, are watching rugby league compared to cricket probably here in Australia. So it's really cool that you've, you've taken stuff from one sport and then applied it to the net to the next sport.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I've I found it so, so helpful in terms of um, often in cricket, for example, you might only have two or three athletes in the gym for an hour and and you you you're um you're learning about their story in between sets you're learning about what they do outside of sport um what sort of things um they're interested in um and then once you've got that as a as a default mindset um it allows you to have similar conversations in in a more hectic environment um obviously you've got to be more truncated and efficient with it um but it it definitely helps you um yeah build those connections with the players
0: mm 100% so what does a current Broncos in-season program look like, let's say, on a six- to seven-day turnaround? What does that sort of look like? Because it's something that I know myself is very interested in coaches, but also, you know, rugby league athletes out there, like, how should I really be training during the week? Yeah,
1: there's a few different philosophies around how to um, schedule a training week. Um, the way we tend to do it, um, and and most most coaches and teams would do this is is first and foremost work back from the game. Um on a a seven day turnaround, we'll have our game day, which is obviously the the pinnacle of or the um the peak of the week. This is the thing that we we want to be best prepared for. The day before that we'll have our team run or our captain's run. Um, and that's a light skills based session um primarily focused on sort of just brushing up on some tactical elements and getting the players feeling good Um, two days before the game. So game day minus two uh, is generally a day off. Um, Players are free to do whatever they want there. They can come in and do a bit of recovery. Some of the guys might come and have a spin on the Watt bike. Um, Some guys might go do some boxing. Uh, Others will go to the beach. Um, They're not obligated to do anything and, and we don't program for them on that day um game day minus 3 is our our biggest training day this is where we get the the majority of our load from a physical perspective into the players uh and we we try and do that through as much footy as possible um but we might also have some additional top-ups in terms of conditioning or or speed or um wrestle any any other aspects that that need additional work for particular individuals it's it's generally going to happen on that day there. Um, and like I mentioned, that is um, that is the day that we're going to do our speed generally. Um, game day minus four is a little bit lighter. You're still sort of recovering from the previous game. If we're a six-day turnaround, game day minus four is just going to be a recovery day. There won't be too much going on. We might go out and play uh, an easy core skills-based game um, that's a bit tighter, not necessarily like it. We wouldn't play offside touch or anything there where you're going to get a lot of high-speed running. Um, but we might play a small, small-sided game that's, that's a bit of fun for them to get them moving. Um, but on a seven-day turnaround, there's a bit more opportunity to do some, do some skills. Do some, we might do some thirteen on thirteen, or um, maybe some edge v edge on that day, and, and and get the get the guys to start working and preparing on their their plays and skills for the for the week upcoming. But um, that's not a not as large a physical loading day there. Um, so that's what we're doing on the field um, in terms of. Uh, our strength and power work uh, what's going on in the gym um we'll we'll lift on that minus four and minus three as well those are our main strength training stimuli for the week um we'll generally try and do all our posterior chain hamstring work on that minus three uh, we lift after field so um, we'll, we'll get our hammies and stuff done there so that the um, any fatigue that we get from the hamstring, Training should be out of the system by the time game day comes around, but also we don't want to uh, layer that on before we go and do our skills. Um, and then around that, you've you've got all your your basic core lifts, um, whether that's a squat variation, um, some some leg power development uh, through through loaded jumping and uh, some single leg work, the upper body pushing and pulling, or your or your general strength training uh, fits into those two days as well there. Um, we might have some guys on on game day minus one, or even on game day, they might do a, a bit of extra upper body, um, or or a bit of a priming session. That's very individual, uh, and our strength and power coach, Mix Ferenzal, works with the players to help them develop their own routines there. Um, but uh, on the whole, that's sort of where where all the physical uh, aspects fit together. Um, that's just how we do things. Um, it's been working really well for us, Um and I don't know there's there's other approaches that other teams take as well, and 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 that's that's fine as well.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great insight, and thanks for that. It's it's really interesting to hear about um, captain's runs because this year for the Brumbies, Stephen Larkham is canned captain's runs. Um Let's say if the majority of the time they're playing on a Friday, uh, sorry, on a Saturday, and they would normally do the captain's run on the uh, the Friday, they've said no, nah, we're going to do a community day. So, and it's. You know, hasn't really changed much out there on the field in terms of results so it's been interesting to hear about that and then even with AFL I heard they do captain's runs as well so it's really interesting to see you know different sides of it like one coach might like it then one coach wouldn't like it so I'm could sit either way I wouldn't really matter too much but um, yeah it's that's that's always interesting as well to hear those areas
1: I definitely see the value in the in the captain's run or the team run I think that's that's a, uh, the player's day, the last opportunity for them to sharpen the sword. Um, the the, bit, the big part there is is psychological preparation, um, making sure that the players feel that they're ready to perform. Um, the, the last thing you want is you didn't get training quite right on, on game day minus three. And then you've got your feet up for two days mm. thinking about how you're going to put it together on game day. So um yeah, I I think that that psychological element is is extremely important, um, and I think that's where the role of the of the captains or team run fit fits in the program, and um, yeah, it gives gives the players the opportunity to to really work on the things that they feel like they need to work on to to feel best prepared.
0: Hmm. I think the main difference between that is. Right, I think the Brumbies have the Wednesday off. So they train the Thursday, rest Friday play. So that you can see the difference in schedules. And NRL, yeah. you can play on um, a Thursday night as well, which is nothing in rugby. It's it's normally Friday, Saturday, and the occasional Sunday game as well. But, um, yeah, it's always interesting to hear the different ways of, you know, different codes that you'd think be very similar, but they add these little secret herbs and spices in there as well. So it's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that that's typically the the rugby approach is more that um, that minus two, minus four, and then potentially minus five as well. Um, in terms of days out from game day, um, I, I think most rugby rugby clubs generally sort of um, make those their main training days. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a difference in philosophy. I'm, I'm not sure if there's um, any any hard evidence to suggest one way is better than the other Mm. um but um yeah the the way we're doing it seems to be working and i think it's pretty common in in the nRL for clubs to use that sort of system that we're using
0: yeah no, it's awesome so how would you sort of change this for an amateur and semi-pro um level rugby league athlete who's just say training two nights a week out in the field and then has a game always on a, a saturday let's say
1: yeah, well, this is definitely something I've thought a lot about because um, outside of, of working with teams, I've I've also programmed and, and coached amateur athletes as well. Um, I think primarily it's going to be dictated by their commitments around life and other things because ultimately um, a suboptimal program that's executed really well is is better than than the optimal program that that can't be can't be completed because. You can't get to the gym uh, because you got work. Mm-hmm. So, um, in an ideal world, I think it's uh, it's probably best to try and consolidate our know, training stresses onto single days to create opportunities for recovery. And what I mean by that is, for example, if if you've got your your club skills training on a Thursday, on a Tuesday and Thursday, for instance. Um, if you're able to go and get your gym work done on a tuesday and a thursday morning you can sort of consolidate those big stress days on tuesday and thursday and you create wednesday as an opportunity for rest and recovery um but that's not always doable if you if you work a trade and you've got to be at, on the tools at 6:45 in the morning it's pretty hard to go to the gym before yeah. that so um in that case then yeah you, you're going to probably need to lift on on monday and wednesday um That will influence how you um, schedule your content. Uh, It does create a challenge in terms of where you schedule your posterior chain and your hamstring work. And again, that's going to be influenced by how your skills are organised as well. So it's important that you understand um, what the coach's philosophy is around when you run fast um, in football training and when things are tighter and slower oftentimes coaches football coaches actually don't have a philosophy around that and that can make it quite difficult for for your weekend warrior in terms of trying to get their head around how training is scheduled so sometimes you actually need to just be um be able to adapt you you can have a program um that says you do hammies on on a on a wednesday but um sometimes you just might not get the opportunity to do it or you, you might need to wait till the end of training on a thursday night and grab a buddy to grab your ankles and bang out some Nordics after the field or find a way to to organise training so that um, your strength and power training doesn't detract from what you're doing on the field um, and, uh, and complements it as best as possible. So to be honest, there's so many um, moving parts, it's hard to give you a solid straight answer um, it's very much case by case in terms of understanding where the components of the football skills training fit um, what the constraints are around access to facilities and uh, the times that you can do additional strength and power training and then trying to best organize those elements so that um, yeah it all works together harmoniously rather than um, burning the candle at both ends
0: yeah 100 but it also sounds like you've, you've given plenty of um solutions as well so if you do have a coach who likes to mix up training every week or so and say oh tuesday we're actually going to be running fast instead of thursday okay sweet i know i'm going to do this before that or after that as well so there's, there's plenty of solutions out there and as an athlete you really need to make sure you're taking charge in that amateur and semi-professional level because if you're not going to prioritize this and you don't have the help of an SNC then no one's going to be there to help you and you do we we want you to be out there on the field enjoying your sport as long as you can so really try and take ownership of what you're trying to do during the week to prepare yourself for the game talk to your coach it might just be a simple conversation that you need to have but And then also just try and seek out some some guidance as well. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of solutions in that, what you were just saying. So just got to make sure the athletes are are trying the best to implement the program that they think is going to work for them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I suppose like some general rules of thumb is you want to try and find a place for your posterior chain work to go so that you're not then sprinting while they're fatigued. Um, So we don't want to do RDLs and Nordics um, the morning before we've got speed in our footy skills. Um, and then I would also just try and, uh, organize your strength and power work so that it's, uh, the program is robust. And what I mean by that is that if something changes, um, in, in the other aspects of training, it doesn't completely derail how your strength and power training is organized. So, um, this is why like full body programs are often, uh, preferable over body part splits or upper body, lower body splits, because, um, if something goes a little bit out of whack, um, your upper body, lower body split can no longer work. Whereas if you've got a full body program, um, you're getting smaller um, but more frequent exposures to things that um, that tend to um, be able to be done more consistently, I suppose. So I'd definitely be trying to think about how you can organize training to sort of follow those sort of principles, I guess.
0: Yeah, 100%. And you avoid overdoing it as well, when you're doing the whole body, unless you're doing 10 sets or something, and then it's just a different story. But yeah, you, you avoid overdoing it in that whole body area, and you're able to recover and really maximize your gym session as well. And you shouldn't feel too sore the next day and should be able to train, um, recover, and, and best prepare yourself for the game. Yeah, for sure. Hi, everyone. We just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC blog today. We provide free exclusive content every single week to our subscribers. You'll find our website link in our bio below. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to the episode. So, how does speed fit into the equation for that semi-professional amateur athlete? Are they trying to do, um, you know, say on the Tuesday, trying to focus on more of that? Vmax and then on the sort of Thursday it's more the shorter sharper type of stuff what would you think would be the most optimal for those rugby league athletes
1: um generally if you, if I suppose your your typical um club club footballer is probably going to be training on a Tuesday and a Thursday and they they're going to be playing their footy on a Saturday I would try and do more of an agility acceleration based warm up on a Tuesday. Um, you're still recovering from the previous game, it gives you an opportunity to to spike the system up and get moving um, without too much residual fatigue. And then your Thursday, I'm just looking to bank a really high quality, fast, open effort where you're in your upright sprinting. It's it's not just an acceleration. It's it's really you're up tall and you're and you're at top speed. Um, you probably only need one or two exposures above sort of 90% of your top speed per week to stay robust and resilient Um, if your footy coaches play lots of speed games or um, they've got drills that are open and fast you might not actually need that stuff that often so it's about complementing what you're not getting in footy Um, for instance in our environment we obviously we've got the the benefit of using gps to monitor what players have done but Oftentimes, we'll have players who've gotten two, three, four exposures to over ninety percent of their top speed in a game, particularly um, if we've been able to move the ball around and score some long-range tries. Um, <clears throat> which means that they don't they don't need to do um, a speed exposure in training throughout the week because we we know that they they've gotten that already. So be be smart with um, what what you're getting and what you're not getting through training and games. Um, previously, I probably i've probably changed my mind on this a little bit in terms of i probably used to prefer to do the top speed exposure earlier in the week but um it's actually some recent research from martin boucher and and his his group uh demonstrated that actually the closer you get your um top speed exposure to game day the lower your risk of uh lower limb soft tissue injuries um primarily being hamstring calf strains um so I'm probably less scared of doing that later in the week now. And uh, their research actually showed that game day minus two in, in soccer, um, which is obviously a little bit different, but uh, the physiology is still very similar. Um, game day minus two is actually the lowest risk day to get your max velocity exposure. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little less worried about doing that later in the week um, and Yeah, like I said, in our environment, our game day minus four sort of ramps up into our minus three. And our minus three is our our big, hard and fast training day. So, um, yeah, we we try and bank a lot of the the high intensity stuff there. And, um, yeah, similar sort of thing if you're you're training on a Thursday, which is a minus two, um, that's probably the day to run fast.
0: Awesome. What sort of distances would you recommend on that Thursday for that speed and then also on the Tuesday for that acceleration
1: Well, your Tuesday, I would say it's more a combination of acceleration and agility. So sharp accels over 5 to 10 metres along with changes of direction and, in particular, uh, reacting to game-like scenarios. So uh, footy coaches actually have lots of really great little agility drills that um, I think are really important from an injury risk reduction perspective as well in terms of um, having that sharp proprioception um, being able to cope with cognitive overload in terms of trying to make um, sharp and high intensity actions in short time frames—that's really important for um, like non-contact ACL injury risk. Um, Resilience and, and robustness around the groin and hip complex, uh, avoiding ankle rolls and things like that. So, little one on one games where you've where have got to beat a single defender, or um, little little tag um, competitions, things like that. I think that stuff fits really nicely on on like a Tuesday, and then um, again with our example of of a, of a club player training on a Thursday. It can be a little positional specific. So um, generally your power running positions. So in in our environment, our middle forwards, our back rollers, our hookers, their game is generally acceleration-based in nature. Um, They still need those 90% plus exposures to ensure that they're robust and resilient, but we can do that with an acceleration focus by working up to around 30 metres. So most of them will get a 90 plus exposure within 30 metres. And then for our outside backs, generally they need a little bit more time to get up to speed, but also they need to be able to cope with larger volumes of very high speed running and sprint running. So we'll extend them out to, both give them more of a chance to get that 90% plus, but also then spend more time above 90% plus. Um, And as a bit of a default, I'll generally give them like a flying 20-metre sprint where they've got a a 20-metre build-up to get up to speed. Um, At other times in in pre-season, we might do 30-metre flies or uh, even up to 40-metre flies that are uh, a little bit sub-maximal. So we might do like an 85% effort at uh, over 40 metres if we're trying to build their um, very high speed running capacity, for instance, um, but it, it depends uh, a little bit more for us on uh, the sort of objective numbers that we're trying to generate. Um, like I said, with the benefit of GPS, we, we can um, be a bit more targeted in terms of giving each individual um, the sort of load that uh, we think is appropriate to prepare them for their positional demands. Um, whereas in in a club environment, you probably need one or two of those flying twenty meter sprints if you're an outside back, for example, each week, unless you got um, a heap of really open fast uh, exposures exposures in training and games, in which case you you just need to um, use. Some, some common sense and uh, and realise that, oh, actually, I, I've already done a heap of this stuff and I don't really need to bank some fast stuff. What I would say is that doesn't mean that there's no value in doing some running mechanics and some, some sprint exercises that help you reinforce good positions and maintain good postures um, when you're running fast, but um, really hammering down and, and running super fast might not, nece- might not be necessary um, every single week. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. a really
0: good picture for those athletes who, again, might not have access to those SC um, coaches out there. And yeah, just really gives some good advice. I, I really like that. So, are there any sort of common misconceptions or mistakes you see athletes make um, when approaching strength conditioning training that sort of just pop um, up in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a long list, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think primarily the. The most obvious mistake is that I think um, some athletes don't train for athleticism. They, they just do strength training um, to tick a box. So they don't think about the quality of the movement that they're performing. Um, they can also overemphasise volume in their training. So um, too much, too many sets, too high rep range, rather than really focusing on um, high outputs, um, focusing on developing the the central nervous system, um, high threshold motor unit recruitment um, and and developing uh, real horsepower. Um, I think another mistake that I see a lot of is probably spending too much time in the middle zone when it comes to conditioning work, Um, really lactate-dense training that uh, is neither high enough quality to improve um, high-intensity actions like sprinting and cutting, but also um, is too fatiguing to be done consistently. So I like to try and polarise what we're doing on the field um, where I can. I I don't necessarily subscribe to like a high-low model i don't think that really actually works in team sports Um, and if you're unfamiliar with a high low model that's where you you've got all your really high intensity stuff consolidated on one day and then all low intensity work the next day i think i think we often do need to work in the medium in a team in a field sport um but yeah I i think like your repeat speed um your long lactate heavy um like sprint intervals and stuff like that i think you can potentially overdo that stuff um whereas if you just give yourself a little more uh, rest and recovery in between efforts um you can you can really increase the outputs that you're able to express in training and that's actually what's going to probably move the needle the most in the areas that matter the most um what we know is that, like, if you look at the moments that sort of punctuate and um, determine the outcomes in games the most, they, they're they usually really high-intensity actions and really high-intensity efforts. They're not sort of medium-intensity in nature. We, we do a lot of medium-intensity work, but it generally doesn't underpin winning or losing. Um, it's it's the ability to, yeah, express speed and power um, at, at maximal or near maximal intensities and and to develop those qualities you, you need to give yourself enough recovery to have that intensity in your training
0: yeah i couldn't agree more both those points of athletes going to the gym and probably thinking i need to be sweating getting my heart rate up and really feel like i've done something where they might just like you said need a bit more rest more force output getting that central nervous system stimulated and leaving the session like yeah i've done some work but i'm not overly fatigued like i've done something but i think that's a feeling that's maybe not associated with some athletes in the gym they just really feel like they need to be smashed like they've just done a hit session so i can definitely resonate with that and and had many conversations with a few of them like hey it doesn't need to be a hit session you know we just need to tick these boxes but also move the needle in the right direction and and feel like we've done some work but we're not um sweating our asses off and leaving the gym um feeling like we've you know just done a hell of a workout that that we won't probably recover from quickly before well, our next training session.
1: Yeah, I mean you you can feel you can feel like you've done a hell of a workout with high intensity training that has appropriate recovery in it mm. too. So you you can achieve that sensation if that's what you're after. Um but yeah, like in, instead of yeah, doing everything on the minute or throwing in a bunch of you know like um mixed training methods in between things, like if if you're really focusing on high quality high output stuff in the gym. Um, yeah, you can in an hour you can you can get through some some high density work um that's really gonna move the needle yeah, as 100%. well.
0: And I really like that point of um, out in the field as well, making sure that you're giving a lot of rest time as well for those higher um, intensity efforts. This year for my Aussie Rules boys, I think that's something that I really, really prioritized because I knew going into the sport, they love to run. <laughs> they will just go for six, eight-kilometer runs. I'm like, that's cool, but it's not really what we're doing in the sport of you know Aussie Rules. Like you're, you're doing a lot of short, sharp efforts, getting a bit of rest in there, but just doing that constantly. You're never just going for a big run. So for, for yeah, me definitely. this year...
1: There is a balance to it as well. Like I, I I don't think you do need the athletes to stand around for three minutes and do nothing in between mm. efforts either. I think that's probably excessive. Um you can almost get away with walk back recoveries for speed exposures. Um if you really want to drive the needle in terms of speed development, you probably need to eke out an extra 30, 30 to 60 seconds after a walk back. But in terms of what we need to do in season, if we just need guys to bank a 90% exposure, they can probably do that with a walk-back recovery. There's there's probably enough there for them to to get to that level. But if we want to consistently get 97, 98 for multiple reps um, so that we can develop speed qualities, then, yeah, you you definitely need more recovery and more rest in between reps um, if you want to be able to to generate those outputs um, more than once
0: hundred percent so just work at your your work to rest ratio and, and don't be afraid to put in you know a one minute rest between like halfway through the whole set or you're doing multiple one minute rests per say you've done six reps rest a minute six rests four like it doesn't matter what it is like just something like that can make a really big difference um to that and really make sure that you're getting that quality of work like you've been talking about that's all we want is really good quality of work and making sure that we're targeting the thing that we want to get targeted Yeah, for sure. So, just conscious of time and stuff like that. When you're not coaching or creating Instagram reels, that sort of put the rest of us to shame. Um, there's some great stuff on that on Instagram page you got there, mate. What What else do you like to get in your spare time? Is there certain like Netflix you like to go watch, or you like to go listen to, you know, certain artists, live music? Go down to the beach. Like, what else do you like to do?
1: I'm not much of a TV watcher. I'll be honest. I like good movies, so the wife and i will will try and watch a movie when when there's no footy on um yeah like i mentioned before we got a we got a new puppy at home so we're spending a lot of time with that taking that for walks and taking it down to the beach and trying to trying to get out and about with that so yeah we enjoy the outdoors whether that's you know going for for a walk or a hike or getting down to the beach um that sort of stuff i'm i'm, I'm pretty good at switching off when i get home um i, I tend not to take the laptop home and um, don't think about work too much once I go home. Um, so I, I just like to relax and unwind for the most part, mate. I, I, I'm um, not full of hobbies, um, but yeah, just like to try and take it easy and switch off. Um, spend spend time with family and and um, and friends and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty simple, pretty simple character, and don't do too much that's too exciting, to be honest. That's nah, it's good. Being able to switch
0: off is is definitely a hard thing for us to to do, and um, bringing work home as well. Like it's it feels like you sort of need to at times, but if you can have that really good balance and maybe forget the laptop because you left it at work, that's a great way to sort of switch off.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm um, I'm a big believer in um, for the most part not bringing the laptop home. Um, if I if I need to spend a bit more time at work to get something done, I would rather stay at work and keep work the workspace. Um, and then when I get home, like I'm I'm not doing work. It's it's um, it's downtime. So I try not to um blow the lines there uh, if I can avoid it.
0: Awesome. So if you could only give one or two points of advice for for coaches out there,
1: what would you say? What comes to mind? Um. Particularly with, with young coaches, I guess, um, I'm a big believer in practising what you preach and, and training yourself the way that you train your athletes. I think you get so much out of exposing yourself to the sorts of things and the, the type of content that you want to deliver to the athletes. Um, I think it's really telling when I see a young coach that, for instance, doesn't do speed training with themselves but is expected to then deliver speed training content to an athlete. Um, It stands out like a sore thumb and you can see it pretty badly. Um, So for me, I think you've got to get out there and and have a crack yourself. Um, When you're a bit more experienced, it probably isn't as important, but until you've um, sort of got those reps under your belt, I think it's really hard to empathise with your athletes if you haven't had a crack at that stuff yourself. Um, you get a lot more buy-in from your athletes when they know and trust that you you can do this stuff yourself as well. Um, I, I know some older coaches will say that um, the only thing that matters is that um, they'll they they won't care what what you know until they know that you care. But um, there is definitely something to be said for um, being able to walk the walk as well, uh, particularly when you're working with a new group. Um, and then the next thing I reckon is just like not being scared of taking risks and putting yourself out there and and um and failing. I, I think it's really important that you fail forwards. Um, you just say yes to everything, take any opportunity that comes up and and just have a crack at things because as a young coach, um you can put a lot of pressure on yourself to deliver a good session every time, but in five, ten years, um no one's going to remember or care what you did when you were 6, 12, 18, 24 months into your career, but you can learn so many valuable lessons in that period. So, um, yeah, I, I reckon just don't be too conservative. Um, don't be scared of of making mistakes. And and most importantly, um, put yourself out there and say yes to, to opportunity.
0: Mm, 100%. I really like, like, yeah. Just,
1: just, have a crack at everything and mm. see how
0: you go yeah 100 percent. i really like that first point of walking the walk as well like for some athletes they might need to actually see you do the actual drill and if none of the athletes there you, you can trust that do the drill well you're up so you, you really need to make sure that you're able to do that exercise and it, it, obviously you don't need to do it to the capacity of the athletes but if you know how to do it and know how to coach it properly that's going to create that buy-in as you said and it makes it really enjoyable for the athletes as well they're like oh shit he's coming to do it that's that's awesome like you know it's 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 you start building that camaraderie it's like last night the um second grade were doing a kicking competition for three different kicks and I just was walking past at the same time I was like all right sweet give me a kick Made an absolute fool of myself but at least I gave it a go and I can kick the footy pretty good to be honest it was just the drill was just freakishly hard for me but for them it was quite easy so just doing that stuff it's a great way to build camaraderie and and really make sure that you understand as a coach what they're going through and, and how to program properly as well.
1: Yeah, I'm always good for the the plyo demonstration where I trip over the hurdle. Um, <laughs> but the boys know I can do it. I just want to yeah. warm So
0: Yeah, it's like, boys, I'm still still just going to warm up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's awesome. Yeah. So moving on to the last sort of uh, bit of the podcast here, my favourite part always, the Triple H. So what's a hardship that you can think of so far in your coaching career, that stands out, and what did you learn through this hardship um, as well,
1: mate? When you sent these questions through, I was pretty stumped. I had I was hoping you wouldn't get to them. Um, mm. I don't know, mate. Like, I, I can't necessarily think of like a a major setback that's made me question um, who I am or what I do. Um, I, th- I think there's lots of little lessons along the way, um, but I. Uh, I tend to um, just focus on trying to do do the best job that I can every day, and um, trust that um, things will things will work out. I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it doesn't. You can't really think of ones, but there's all these little ones. You're like, yeah, I've learned from straight away, and I'm going to take it
1: on to make sure that never happens again. So, yeah, there's yeah, plenty of little embarrassing uh, anecdotes that I, I don't want to share. But <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, nothing, there's, nothing. Yeah, there's, too
0: there's, bad. There's, there's probably ones that you've just forgotten already, and you just yeah, <laughs> okay. Move on. Um. So, hero. Who is your hero, and why is this person your hero? Or if you have multiple heroes,
1: well, I um, I don't know if I look up to heroes uh at the moment, but I definitely had them as a kid, and I um, as a as a young cricketer, I I really loved watching um. Brett Lee and Sean Tate as fast bowlers. And I think um, my journey as an athlete was quite, uh, was largely moulded by wanting to be like those guys. So they're two guys who bowled like the wind, 160K an hour um, fast bowlers. And I think that sparked my passion for wanting to bowl fast, which then sparked my passion for training. Um, so, I can really see those two as um, quite influential in in terms of um, the the journey that they sent me down. Um, so, yeah, that, those two really stood out to me when, when I reflected on that question for sure. Mm. And
0: I'm just thinking in my head right now, which one would I want to face if I had to face six balls? You know, Brett Lee's more, <clears throat> I would say, a little bit more accurate, but Tate just had that. Oh, that like just velocity and just unleashed it at you. So, either way, I'd be screwed. But I, yeah, I just couldn't think of who I, who I would would want to face.
1: Yeah, I think um a lot of a lot of the batters of that time um were probably a bit more worried about uh, Sean Tate because if he didn't know where the ball was going, what chance <laughs> did they have?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's definitely a sport that you just you you don't think um too much about but when you think about it like you're standing there and facing 150 to 160 kilometers an hour ball like that is crazy and then having to catch that with with your bare hands yeah i'm I'm good thanks (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and the last one highlight what is a highlight that stands out so far in your
1: coaching career um i don't think my biggest highlights have happened yet mate i'm i'm I feel like there's so much more to work towards. I'm I'm definitely not satisfied with um, any achievements yet. So um, there's been some really nice moments along the way. I think um, particularly when you work with younger athletes and you see them take the step into professional sport, I think there's... There's something special about those moments. Um, seeing seeing young guys and girls that you work with make their debut for whether it's a professional club or representing their state or um, underage representing their country, um, even even playing for Australia. So that that's always a special moment, and I I still um, like to. Send a message through to any any of the guys or girls that I used to work with in cricket, in particular, when when they um, when those opportunities come up, just to congratulate them and um, let them know that that I'm still riding the journey with them. Um, I was lucky in cricket that we had a lot of success um, across academy and, and senior cricket when I was there, so we won a few things, which is really cool. But um, yeah, like I said, I still think there's there's plenty more highlights to come, so I'm, I'm more focused on looking forwards and looking back.
0: Yeah, it's really nice to have that, even if you only train that athlete for six months or eight months, but you still had a positive impact and seeing them continue to grind and work hard and then achieve what they wanted to achieve. It's really um, special as a coach to be able just to have a little bit of help in there to to help that athlete along their career.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much of a difference I made, but um, you definitely ride the journey with them, that's for sure.
0: 100 so who should be my next guest on the podcast is there any coaches or athletes that sort of uh, stand out in your mind that should jump on for a chat
1: um i think graham morris would be a really good guest mate he's he's a smart guy and um got always got some really good insights so i'll get in touch with him for sure awesome i'll reach out to him um where can listeners find you on
0: social media if they want to keep up to date with everything's going on in your life
1: um, well, they won't keep up to date with everything going on in my life. They'll just see the oh, same work that I do yeah. over and over again. There's, <laughs> there's probably not a lot of variety going on in there, but people seem to find it interesting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just my full name, Nathan Kiley, with an underscore at the end of it. Um, Instagram's where I'm most active, but uh, same thing on on Twitter, if anyone's interested in the one tweet I send every six months. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. So thanks again for joining me today. It's been great to get to know you more as a person and really understand what you're trying to do up there in the Brisbane Broncos and understand also your sort of path towards that as well. Um, I, got, I got a lot of stuff out of this and I know the listeners as well. And like I told you before the podcast started, we're definitely going to get you back on again and really go down a couple of those rabbit holes as well to really um, pick your brain and get all those knowledge um, bombs out of there as well. So thanks again for joining me today.
1: It's been awesome. No worries, mate. It's my pleasure. Thanks for
0: having me on. It's good. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby s Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate Elite Rugby s on Spotify and YouTube, and make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to Come A Beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, don't wait. Make that good decision and join Elite Rugby s today and take your game to the next level.